Hello and welcome back to the podcast. My name is Rob Wong and uh, today on Dating Smash, we're doing an interview with a good friend of mine, TK. He is a teacher and a counselor in the Southern California area, which is striking. Um, I think that's not really a combination you run into very often. Um, so we're going to be discussing, and, and let me know if I got this right, TK, um, how education affects our relationships, how it affects our communication later on in life, and what it is we learn uh, that makes that impact. Hey, Rob, thank you for having me here. Uh, yeah, it's, it's similar on that topic, more like school or schooling, how that affects the communication and relationships. Yeah, I've always thought that this is like fascinating because I think back to like what what I picked up as a kid and it's I think the thing that stuck out for me was like one, don't communicate with strangers and two, silence is, is golden, which mm-hmm. when I look back at it, I think about if if I probably would have been less of like a social recluse, like if I would have been a better communicator if... I hadn't also just like taken those things to heart. I'm curious what your take is on it. Okay. Uh, when you read my like silence is golden, are you talking about like in the classroom, you know, just like keeping it quiet or are you just talking about like even in the hallways or, you know, outside of the classroom? That's what you were kind of taught also. Hmm. You know, uh, it's interesting you mentioned that because I think what you might be hinting at is that the context is taught now. Um, but yeah, back when I was learning it, um, I guess it must have been kindergarten, silence is golden, like just staying quiet was something that I think was generally taught to kids <laughs> as, as a, like a, as yeah. a skill of being polite. Like speak only when you're spoken to that type of deal. Yeah, I, I definitely got that sense of that too. Um, those who remain quiet in the classroom often get rewarded, right? So it's like the reinforcement of positive behaviors. Uh, those who kind of talk a lot or who act out definitely get like punished. Uh, but they, they do definitely get more attention. And for me as a teacher, uh, those two types of students really do stand out. Even the ones who do talk a lot, like they stand out to me in the class, you know, they. Even if uh, they might be like fooling around or uh, not paying attention in class, like I, I tend to remember them more often than like students who are usually quiet. Yeah. So um, that, that makes sense. Like when I when I'm dealing with like a lot of clients, a lot of participants, it's the same way. Like the ones who I think are doing well, I, or who aren't, who aren't running into a lot of breakdowns. They don't get very much focus from me, which is something I'm going to be <laughs> shifting over time. Um, yeah. Because they're doing well. And then the ones who are like in breakdown, who are struggling, who are like very out expressed about like their resentments and stuff, um, they get more time. Yeah. So I've also done some stuff in counseling also, like elementary school, um, part of it a little bit in high school and middle school. And one thing I noticed that is those students who do act out or quote unquote like the troubled students are the ones who are getting more intense uh, counseling services. Well, depending on the, you know, the district or the charter or, you know, the organizations of the schools. 
they do have uh, counseling services for students, you know, which is necessary and required. But, you know, obviously the ones who get into trouble a lot or who have something going on are often the ones that uh, receive the most services. And oftentimes the ones who are quiet, uh, you know, get neglected in those services. And there are, <clears throat> there are times when, you know, they probably need it just as much as those students who get into trouble. You know, whether it's like getting anxious on a test, uh, you know, getting anxiety about like, college applications. That's equally as important as, you know, those students who are having like trouble at home or who, who just may be uh, having a hard time in the class or getting focused. So, but yeah. like just getting that resources is very difficult just because of, you know, budget cuts and there's lack of understanding of, uh, you know, the importance of mental health in the school system. Yeah, I think I think you hit on something really important there. And I see this showing up with uh, like a lot of adult clients where as adults, I think, at least speaking for myself and the people that I've interacted with, there seems to be a lot of people that will keep quiet about the, the areas of life that are really important to them that are in breakdown, like maybe in reaction to this, right? Like where, hey, you learn to be quiet, like you're not, you're not the problem kid, in quotes. So you just, you handle your problems by yourself, right? And you don't tell other people about it because that would make you the problem kid. And because of that, like a lot of stuff doesn't shift. Like this, the reason why a lot of people don't like get as much as they could from counseling or therapy. It's because like the stuff that's actually kind of scandalous, right? Like societally scandalous is held mm-hmm. back. The stuff that would actually mean something to that client, they don't talk about. So yeah. it's other stuff. So the smaller things. Yeah, that's definitely true. Uh, yeah, for example, I have a student who uh, is, you know, he's quiet and he does his work and he does what he's supposed to do. But, uh, you know, we had an encounter where uh, he got in trouble by, you know, one of the administrator and he reacted in a way that I, I've never seen. Like he was really angry and he would like lash out and he would just shut down. And I was just really surprised to see it because, you know, he was supposed to be like the quote unquote, like model student who who's often getting A's and, mm. you know, who studies really hard. Uh, but uh, he was just acting completely differently to, you know, a staff uh, who probably didn't have a good relationship with, with him. So like he just shut down. Uh, he just resisted. And, you know, when I was talking about to him about it, uh, I found out that uh, he actually had been suspended by that um, administrator in the past. And I was just really surprised because what, what you got suspended, <laughs> but like, you know, you're, you're a kid like who's taking these AP classes and like doing really well. Um, it, so that just, uh, yeah, it kind of baffled me. Like th- there's more to what we see than, you know, like in the outside, they might, they might be doing really well, but we don't really know what's going on, on the inside until, you know, we start building that relationship and start talking to them. Yeah. Um, this is, this is fascinating to me because I think like, I didn't realize it started that early. Um, but, but I think like looking at my own life, there's, there's always been like one person that I always, I always get like really activated around like, and it doesn't matter like my relationships with other people, like how skilled I am at communication, 
uh, while I'm able to hold a conversation and like be cool about stuff. Like if someone says the wrong thing to me, usually if I just met them or they're like a friend, just slides right off my shoulders, no big deal. But there's always that one person, right? It's usually like the mom or the dad or a sibling or something where they say something and then we take it a certain way and then we blow the fuck up. <laughs> it's like, like no one else can see how we could possibly get into fights. And it's like with that one specific person though, it always happens. And it's, it's fascinating to me that it starts as early as high school and maybe sooner, like just as long. Yeah. Actually, I would say it probably, you know, start in elementary. You know, kind of, yeah, kind of like what you're saying, right? Like certain things would trigger a person um, very uh, quickly. You know, if if it could be like a parent, you know, uh, sometimes even um, teachers can trigger a student. Um, if a student, for example, has a bad relationship with their father and, you know, if it's a male student that kind of resembles their father, they might be triggered and might feel like, oh, you know, they're going to be similar. So I'm not even going to do anything in class or just kind of chill out, you know? Yeah. Um, do you think there are, Oh, actually, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to jump to that question, but I also want yeah. to um, really quickly clarify something for the listeners. Um, so when we talk about being triggered or being activated, um, it's more to do with, like the emotional state someone's in, like, are they in fight, flight, or freeze? Like, are they behaving kind of reactively or irrationally because of their, their body thinking that they're under attack? Um, and with certain people, like those memories get held onto for a really long time, as you all know. Um, and I think the question that I wanted to ask was when you first start seeing it in kids, like, do you think they're aware of that response around other people? Like, that it's coming up? Uh, I would say most of them are not aware um, just because they were not taught how to handle it, right? Like they were not taught how to de-escalate uh, when things get really bad, things get triggering, they got high anxiety. Um, nowadays, uh, there's been like more practice, at least with the teaching community, uh, something called a trauma-informed care. Because, you know, back then, um, it, it would be pretty easy for kids to get kicked out of class or teachers would kind of yell and scream in class. I don't know if you remember those kind of classrooms. But, you know, I sure, I sure did. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there's always one really angry teacher that knows. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. they're just angry and, like, even if the kid is, like, triggered in the class, like, they wouldn't just care. The teachers might be, like, keep yelling. And, you know, like, like punitive punishment such as, like, hitting it doesn't really exist in California. I don't know if it does in other states or other countries. But uh, those have kind of shifted to more, like, focus on the student-centered rather than, like, being teacher-centered. So trauma-informed care kind of looks at students as, uh, as people who are, you know, vulnerable and who are also susceptible to, like, reacting w- and when they react, it usually has to do with something that's going on personal in their lives and not necessarily because of uh, something the teacher did personally, you know. Mm. So, for example, like if a student is acting out, it's better to like have a one-on-one talk with them uh, to talk about their behavior rather than them calling them out in front of like 30 other students, right? Because right. that makes a huge difference 
Yeah, and, it might yeah. even reinforce that activation, right? Like being yeah, exa- confronted. Exactly, and he do that. You know, he called them out in front of a bunch of other kids. They're gonna, you know, put on a show, and they're just gonna keep going and going. Uh, but but he were able to like talk one on one or communicate with them, like maybe after class or after they kind of de-escalated, uh, you know, that might have a, a different outcome. And yeah, trauma-informed care also like, you know, focuses on like the importance of the relationships with the students. There's a study, I don't remember who did it exactly, but uh, the effectiveness of a teacher or in the classroom has to do more with the relationship with the students rather than like the content that they know. Mm. so (laughs) the better the relationship we have with the kids uh you know the less likely that they would act out and more likely that they would trust us and you know feel safe in the classroom right and this you know this kind of goes in with uh preventing like the triggering or preventing like the outbursts in the classroom yeah i like i wanted to echo that I've seen that show up within the space of coaching and counseling too. Uh, One of the figures that I love is like when we begin to examine the different styles of counseling and therapy, there's no like one best method, usually efficacy, how effective someone is. And I'm sure you've heard this one as well um, is based off of how much rapport that that person has with their client. And like what I'm hearing is you get a very similar effect in class with students yeah yeah that's it's kind of, yeah you're right it's it's similar to you know counseling too like establishing that rapport is much more important than just going over the skills you know like you know in counseling and teaching um we're taught that you're, you're gonna have to build that relationship and the rapport first before you can actually teach you know it's the phrase um the students won't care about what you teach until they know that you care about them. Hmm. I think this is a really good chance to draw it back into the dating and relationship realm. Like this right here, what you just said, like your partner, your date won't care about what you're saying unless they know that you care about them. Like unless they can see that you have their best interest at heart, words are just words right? Like the way that we get meaning and the way that we start to take action and make decisions based off of those words is how they make us feel. And unless it's abundantly clear (laughs) that that person is looking out for us, we're not going to do shit with those words. Yeah. And I think that applies to like relationships too. Like, like if I am rooting for my partner to make a change, whether it's to live a healthier lifestyle give up smoking, start dieting because it would affect their health. I can't just like lecture them and yell at them until that change happens. It's not going to work. Yeah, that's true. And this kind of ties also in with parenting too. And I know this podcast isn't about parenting, but (laughs) you know. But it kind of is. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, (laughs) in a way it kind of is. Yeah, this kind of ties together. um, Because parenting is... It's it, that's kind of similar in a way, you know. You you can't just punish the kids like, or like just yell at the kids and expect them to listen to you, you know. I mean, I know that like certain people have that style, uh, where it's very like authori- 
tear in and just um, do it my way or it's not going to happen. I know that uh, studies have shown that in once kids uh, approach like a middle school or teenagers, you know, the best way to kind of approach parenting is um, having them um, come up with the rules in the home and, you know, having like coming, coming to terms with the agreement on what the expectations and the rules are going to be in the house, you know? Mm. And that's also something I do in my classroom as well. In the beginning of the year, like we kind of come together and create the rules and agreements of the classroom or, you know, sometimes schools do it school wide, uh, depending on like the administrators and what their goals of the schools are. You know, they, they ask the students, Hey, what, what should the rules be? And then come to an agreement with that, you know? So in a sense, they have uh, some control over what, what that would look like, you know, creating the expectations themselves. And it's good to have that, you know, start out early, like in uh, the teenagers, like elementary school, it's a little different just because, you know, the development of the mind and, you know, how they perceive things is different. But once they start turning into teenagers, they're going to want to gain some control and, you know, allowing them to create like roles and choices is, is a good way to do it. Yeah. And like, isn't that like the best analogy for like human life, like adult life, like everyone wants to feel like they have a little bit more control in their lives than they actually do. And I'm like totally curious now if you've implemented this system, which is genius um, in your relationship. And if you have like what effect that's had. You mean like uh, having, having the students uh, or just people in general, like have a sense of control or. Yeah. Like, like here are the ground rules of our relationship. This is what I like. This is what it could look like. I'd like to create this together with you. Like, has that conversation happened? You know, it's there. I think it depends on the group of students. Um, So just to clarify, I I do teach in a low income, like working class schools. So I've taught for, you know, about almost a decade. And uh, that's the only uh, environment I've taught in. So I haven't taught in like, you know, suburban schools or wealthier schools. It's always like urban schools or low income uh, working class neighborhoods. Uh, but in terms of like creating the rules, I know that like the, the first couple of days initially, like some, depending on the school, like the students don't really know me or I don't really know the students that well. So, uh, that rapport is not there yet. So sometimes like the, the rules can change over time. Um, once they have, uh, once I get to know them, um, you know, over time. Yeah. Do, do you think that this system could be implemented in a, in a relationship with someone while you're dating them? Like, oh, and, like establishing some kind of rules together? Yeah. I think that's a, that's a good idea. I mean, in a relationship, we also have to establish boundaries, right? Because uh, it's not like one person has a say in everything, right? I mean, that's probably yeah, like the traditional not. method of, <laughs> you know, like patriarchy where men makes all the decisions and all that, you know. Or like where um, like the dude is completely given up on life and his wife is just going on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, like establishing expectations and boundaries is important in relationships too. And it's a conversation that should be had, but I don't know if a lot of couples really do that. So. Yeah, I feel like 
like the one time that we formally do that in our culture is marriage when we stop and talk about vows like here's what i agree to do but it's really curious because outside of that like you were pointing to i don't think we really do that and i think at least in my head like in my experience one of the things that holds me back from doing this regularly is that it's just a real confronting conversation like speaking up for what i'd like to see in the relationship hearing what she'd like to see in the relationship sometimes can get taken as like here's what's wrong with the relationship. And then people get into fights over it. I've definitely got into fights over that. And yeah, it's worth it, but like getting there hurts. <laughs> yeah. I think, uh, sometimes like when people say rules, they think of the negative stuff, right? It's like a lot of no's, right? It's like, Hey, you know, for, for example, maybe I'm just going to do it in context of the classroom. So it's like, okay, no chewing gum, uh, no phones out, uh, you know, no, no, no. It's like a bunch of like negative uh, things. Um, there also needs to be like positive words that uh, is to be expected. It's like, you know, be respectful or like changing the language, you know, like be, being like responsible in the classroom, like always do your best. You know, that's one of the rules I have. Uh, things like one mic, when one person is speaking, like, you know, the other per- others would just kind of pay attention to it. Um, just yeah. framing that language is also important too. Yeah, I know that when people think about roles, it's a lot about negatives. I think that's a really, really good point. Um, one thing that really stuck with me came from an, another podcast that my friend introduced to me to, uh, called the Robcast, which <laughs> I, oh, I wish wow. I had come up with. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been a good name for yours, <laughs> right? Uh, and the, the guy is talking about how, um, when we boil down fear, um, like that survival-based mentality, really the only thing that it's telling us uh, all the time is no. No, I don't want to do that trip. No, I don't want to go bungee jumping. No, I don't want to public speak. No, I don't want to go out to bars and meet women or men. Um, it's, it's our brain trying to protect us. So the only thing that it tells us is no. And it like when we i think about creating something with my partner or creating something with another human being in terms of agreements i think you hit on a really good point uh when we come from no it's really easy to also be coming from what we're afraid of rather than like what we aspire to have in the relationship so having a mix of both is i would i would say is a really good move yeah and you do hit a point with the fear too you know, because uh, when, because I've had students, uh, I, I remember like even the first first day or first two days of school, they would just cuss me out, you know, <laughs> in front of everybody, you know, like, like, fuck you, you know, I'm like, whoa, what the hell, you know, I just met you, you know, and then, um, you know, I'll pull them out and just kind of start having a conversation with them. And, you know, some of them could have had like some kind of uh special needs um there are other students who just had like very negative experiences with authority in the past and that kind of a negative experience they had uh just kind of transfers in their body and mind you know and when you've had it since when you're like a young kid it's just going to carry on with you and it takes a lot of time and effort to change that perspective you know you 
you know, just being there, trying to be in there for the student, uh, just show them that there are other like teachers or, you know, authority figures who are not going to treat the way, you know, they did like, they're not, they're not going to treat them the way they were treated in the past, you know? Yeah. Would you would you say that this effect carries on into adulthood or affects? Oh yes, adults? definitely. They need to have some kind of a like role model, mentor, or a someone you know to show them that there are other ways to behave or um, communicate. Do you know what? Uh, what's the one important aspect for? like a child or teenager to be successful when they become an adult. Hmm. Like one of the key aspects is that uh, if they have at least one caring adult that they trust or that cares about them, that can actually go a really long way in making them successful. And, you know, success is very like a general term. Interesting. But Do you know as long what, as, what the mechanism of that is? Uh, it has to do with like role models and you know sometimes in the community like there's the importance of mentorship right and i really think that's a huge need um sometimes like the kid might not have a a very positive uh, adult role model in their lives with their issues at home or maybe they just don't feel like they can trust the parents or like you know the teachers and the staff or people they had that you know they just feel like they can't trust them for whatever reason but as long as they have one adult at least at least one adult maybe having more is always better uh, it can benefit them in the long run yeah this is um this is a phenomenal point if you're listening in right now this is this is something that shows up everywhere um and you might have noticed it too like where if there's someone upstream of us right if we have someone who's our manager if we have someone uh, who we're taking on as a mentor, what who they are being for us is usually the upper limit for what we can accomplish. Right? If we think about like a public speaker and if, if the audience is all like, uh, this person sucks, they're going to be terrible. You know, I've seen this guy before. He's awful. The expectation in the room, the way they react to that speaker is going to completely influence his ability to be an effective speaker up there. They all think he's amazing and there are going to be different behaviors. They're going to start applauding, like cheering, and that will, that will make that speaker perform better. And I think what I'm hearing here is a similar analogy for, for kids, for adults. Um, having someone upstream who really cares about you that has like a clear space, right? Like they've worked on their traumas. They've gotten that out of the way so that their communication with people isn't affected by the past or that one bad incident that they had with their dad. That makes a big difference. And what I'm hearing is that like that difference is as widely impactful as even just general success in life. Yeah. Yeah. Damn. All right. So I'm seeing that we're running uh, close to the end of our time here. And usually I like to close it off with a question for you, um, for our guest. And that question is if you 
it, go back in time and give the 18 year old version of yourself a piece of advice about dating, about life, about people, um, what would that be and why? Oh, that's a good question. I think I would uh, say just, you know, don't focus too much on what other people think about you. Uh, you know, just give yourself time to learn like what you love, what you care about, you know, what you don't like and figure it out on your own. You know, figure out what, what your needs and wants are. Yeah, that's an interesting question. Um, I guess even just learning about, um, you know, just being able to be more like authentic and vulnerable, uh, just open up. Um, yeah, I don't know. I have to think a little bit more about that one. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a good answer so far. Um, yeah everything that you've mentioned is so critical when it comes to dating, especially the bit about knowing who you are. I think what I've seen time and time again is as people begin to explore what genuinely matters to them, they begin to get more confident too, which is why people in their thirties are usually like way less antsy and anxious about dating than people who are in their twenties because people in their twenties are still figuring it out. We're still, and, and this shows up later on in life, of course, too, but it's like even more pronounced back then. We're still trying to be someone else for this other person rather than showing up as who we are. Um, yeah. Causes major problems later on, but also like it's impossible to be confident if I'm always trying to anticipate what this person wants or is looking for in a partner. Yeah, that's true. And it's even more... Uh... You know, like I'm just, I just see like teenagers who are in relationships. It's like, it's like a completely different world, you know. Um, yeah. Because they still don't know who they are. They're figuring out their own identity, especially if they're getting in relationship like in middle school, elementary school. You know, it's like they they're still figuring out who they are, and it's, it's like this whole they break up and they you know they get back together the next day. Um, but. Yeah, no, you have a point there. Like, as you get older, you have a sense of, like, understanding of who you are. Yeah. And I think, I think, like, I want to I wanna underline that, what you were saying. Like, the time that you invest, the time that I invest in myself is time that I am going to be ultimately investing in all of my relationships. Not just with my partner, but with, like, every single connection that I have in my life. The stuff that I clear out of the way for me is something that will scale like times as many people as I talk to in the day. Yeah. So killer advice, man. And thanks for being on the show. Yeah. There were actually a couple more things I wanted to talk about, but you know, for out of time, it's all good. Yeah. We can, we can easily get you on another podcast. <laughs> uh, I think that would be, I would like that. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me, Rob. Anytime, DK. And we'll catch you around real soon, hopefully.